Hello, game fans! How many times has this scenario happened to you? Honey, would you like to play a game tonight? Sure! Okay! Great! How about a game of Agricola? Or we could play the two-player version of Puerto Rico. Or, you know what I just did? I went on BoardGameGeek and I downloaded a two-player map for Age of Steam and I printed it out and it took me like a half of an ink cartridge, you know, printing that out. No! 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 Definitely not! Okay, alright. What do you want to play? How about Lost Cities or Ticket to Ride? Oh, alright. Alright, here we go. Let's play Ticket to Ride. Okay, uh, first turn. Alright, I guess uh, I win. I get to go first. I'll take Houston to New Orleans. What? That's where I was going to go! Honey? Honey? Tired of playing those same old games with your significant other over and over again? Crayon Rails to the rescue! You want a game with strategic choices to make? She wants to stop having to learn a new set of rules every time you sit down to play a game. Crayon Rails will make you both happy. The Crayon Rails game system is a game that's easy to learn with a lot of strategy and decision making. Plus, the variety of maps around the world will keep the experience fresh without having to learn a lot of new rules. Plus, its a virtual non-existent interaction will make sure you never have to decide whether or not to make that move that is your best possible move on the board, but will most assuredly land you on the couch for the night. Plus, you will gain random world geographic knowledge. Plus, you can make train noises. Choo-choo! Plus, you get to play with crayons like an eight-year-old, all at no extra charge. And Crayon Rails is not just for couples. Play with friends, family, strangers. So go get started with the country of your choice playing Crayon Rails. Why not start with the new edition of Empire Builder, which focuses on delivering goods in the United States? Or the European version, Euro Rails. All this can be yours. And each month, you will be compelled to go buy a new map. And that's how much we guarantee you'll love our game. Try it today. Thanks, Crayon Rails. Thank you, Crayon Rails. You're the best. Episode 8, Crayon Rails. Hello everyone, welcome back to How to Play, Episode 8. My name's Ryan Sturm, coming to you from snowy Buffalo. And today we're talking about Crayon Rails. This venerable series started almost 30 years ago, in the year 1980, with the game Empire Builder. And it's continued to just about every area in the world and off the world you can imagine, with Euro Rails, China Rails, Australia Rails, Martian Rails, and much, much more. And the great thing is that other than some very minor rule changes, that once you know one game, you pretty much know them all. If you're new to the podcast, well, welcome. How to Play is a podcast about learning and teaching games. If you're coming back for more, thanks for continuing to listen. Now, I wanted to do this episode because I think there's a lot of people that are unaware of just how great this series of games really is. Someone in my game group showed me one of these games, and I, I managed to get a copy cheap on eBay and took it home, and 
My wife and I just fell in love with playing these games and it started becoming a ritual. We would play it once, even twice a week. This is the game by far I've played the most in the past year, simply because it's a game my wife and I both love to just sit and play together. We can put on a game, soccer, football, baseball, put something on the, on the television and just play the game and relax and have a lot of fun. So I hope this episode will pique your interest in this series. And maybe it'll give you a tool for you and that special someone to sit down and learn this great series together. Complexity Rating. This game is hesitantly a blue square. It has a few rules, but not too many. And the game is really intuitive and it's very easy to learn. But there are two factors which made it a blue square instead of a green circle. And those are the length and having to learn the map. This game lasts about an hour per player, especially when you're just starting off. Once you know the series, you know a map, uh, you can narrow that down to about 45 minutes per player. So, of course, that means with two players, you're looking at close to two hours, and with three players, three hours, and so on. So that's why I really recommend this series as strictly two-player, maybe three. After that, it starts to just take a long time, and there's a lot of downtime without any real interaction. And the first game or two with any new map will take a while, as people have to learn the cities, where they are on the map, and also what goods are in the different cities. So it's going to take extra time, but with repeated planes, things will speed up a bit. But overall, I think anyone can pick this game up. You know, if you have family, neighbors, anyone, people who aren't necessarily gamers could enjoy this game, assuming that they're willing to sit down for a two, three hour game. You could even use it with your kids, although I might wait till 10 or maybe even 12. Again, the main factor you want to consider is the amount of attention span the players that you're going to play with have. So a final note, uh, for this game I will use the standard rules that you'll pretty much find in any Empire Builder game, Euro Rails, China Rails, Nippon Rails, any of them. And you could use it to explain any of the games pretty much in the series. There are small rule changes from map to map, so you'll want to double check the rule book for any of those minor changes. I'll discuss more about those other maps and rule changes in the footnotes section. The other little caveat is that whenever anything is referred to as one million dollars, I'm just going to call it one dollar for sake of ease of explaining. All right, let's do it. Crayon Rails. Part 1. The Hook. What the game is about. Welcome to the Crayon Rails series. You are a wealthy railroad investor. You're looking to make your fortune setting up the most efficient railroad system to make you rich. You start the game with 50 bucks to build track. Now you want to set up a track system so that you can fulfill demand cards to earn money. You're going to have three of those cards at any one time. You earn money by looking at your demand cards and figuring out how to connect the goods on the card to the city that wants them by building track. For example, say on one of your cards, you have oil to Buffalo. Woohoo, Buffalo! For a reward of 20 bucks. Now, you may want to build track from Oklahoma City. That's a city where there is oil, which you can see from your player aid and from the oil icon on the map. You want to draw track from Oklahoma City all the way up to Buffalo. That way, you can bring your little train from the oil to Buffalo. We're going to start the game by having two turns to build track, and then we'll get to regular turns. Now on a turn, you'll start in a city and you can pick up whatever goods are there, shown by the icons on the map, 
And then you can move nine spaces. You always move nine because that's how fast your train is at the beginning of the game. So for example, on my first turn of the game, I might pick up one oil load chip. Those are those little plastic chips. Put it on my train card and move nine spaces on the map with my little plastic train pawn. Then you can build more track. You can always build up to $20 in track if you want to and you have the money. But sometimes you'll just move nine spaces and that will be your turn. And then your turn is over. It may take a few of your turns to get to Buffalo. When you get to Buffalo, you will drop the good off, it will go back into the container, and then you'll get paid the $20 from the bank. That card will go away, and you'll get a new card. And if I had more moves left, I could finish my moves and I'd be looking for what delivery I could make next. The game's going to continue until one person meets the winning conditions of the game. To win, you need to have $250 cash and have built track into either all or all but one of the major cities on the board. The major cities are those big red hexagons printed on the board. And that's it! <laughs>。Part two: The meat. How to play the game. Now to start the game, there will be two turns of building track. Now this is going to take a little bit of time for everyone to just study their cards and look at the map and figure out where the best places are to start building that track. Each player will always have three demand cards to try to meet and to be able to make money. Now each card has three different choices for an order you can try to fulfill. So for example, one card might have these three choices on it. A reward of $37 for bringing wood to Monterey, Mexico. A reward of $20 for bringing oil to Buffalo. And a reward of $10 for bringing tobacco to Cincinnati. And logically, the farther the city is away from the good it wants, the more money you're going to get as a reward. Also know that you can only do one of the deliveries on each card. So once I deliver that oil to Buffalo, that card's going to go away and I'm going to get a new card. So you're going to want to look at your cards and determine which delivery on each card you want to do. To do that, look at the map. And so since you have three cards, each with three options, you really have nine choices. And you want to figure out where each city is and where those goods are. And usually you can get a good in more than one place. So you're going to use the player aids to help you find out where the two or three different spots you are able to get oil and look at which is the closest to your destination. Also look for the symbols of those goods that are printed on the map. Now when you're looking at your cards, you're looking for any way that you can get two deliveries out of building one piece of track because then you can make more money quicker and spend less money. And when you're looking at those starting cards, you're really hoping to have maybe two of the same city on two different cards. Or maybe two of the same goods on two different cards that you have. For example, maybe I was lucky enough to get that oil to Buffalo on one card and oil to Montreal on another card. Now I'm going to get twice the money for just building one piece of track. Now you aren't always that lucky. Sometimes you can figure out a there and back delivery. Like maybe I got machinery to Kansas City. Alright great, now I can bring the oil to Buffalo and in Buffalo I can pick up machinery and bring it back to Kansas City so I'm still getting two deliveries out of one piece of track. Those are the kind of things you're going to look for as you plan your first build. So it's going to take a while to look at that map, look at those cards and figure out your plan for building. You got a plan? Great, let's build some track. 
This is the fun part, because now you get to draw on the mat with crayons. Hooray! When's the last time you used some crayons? Okay, the first thing you need to know is that you have to start building from a major city. Remember, those are the big red hexagons. And once you start building, all your track must connect somehow to your own color of track. But wait, I wanted to build Oklahoma City to Buffalo. Yeah, yeah, you still can. This is not a problem. You just have to maybe start building from Kansas City, which is kind of in the middle there. So you would start building from Kansas City, build down to Oklahoma City, and then build from Kansas City all the way up to Buffalo. And this is actually kind of a good thing because you have to build into almost all of the major cities to win the game anyways. And there are usually quite a few cars that deliver to those major cities, so they're good to have in your network. In fact, while you're at it, you might want to build into Chicago on the way out to Buffalo. So let's build some track. I'll start at Kansas City and just connect one dot to another with my color of crayon. And each regular dot you go costs you a dollar. These are the cheapest track and you want to use those regular dots as much as you can without going too far out of the way. Now then there are the triangles, those represent mountains. Mountains cost two dollars. If you cross a river, you have to pay two extra dollars, which means you have to pay two for the river and one for the dot. So usually, crossing a river costs three. Unless you're crossing into a mountain, then it's four. And across a river into a city would be even more. Now in regular Empire Builder, you can't build over the ocean, but in some other versions, you can build over little inlets in the ocean. In those cases, they're three extra, and so usually it's four bucks to build across an ocean inlet or a lake. But if a dot is farther away than the normal length of the dots are far apart, you can't build across those. Now you're going to want to build into a lot of cities. The small red circles and the small red squares are small and medium cities respectively. Both of those cost $3 to build into. Now major cities have kind of a really weird rule, but basically they're just kind of a regular dot and they cost a dollar. Now I'll explain that weird rule more in the footnotes. Just know small and medium cities three bucks, major cities just a buck. The technicality I'll get into later. Now keep in mind all these costs are drawing to that feature. And drawing out of something isn't any extra. So once you're in a city or a mountain, it isn't extra to leave it. Of course, if someone has already built track connecting two dots, you can't use that same area. You'll have to go around. So when you're building, you're not necessarily going to build directly from the good to the city you're going to want to keep in mind the terrain to try to avoid mountains and rivers to make it a little cheaper for you. You also might hit some extra cities while you're going that direction because having more cities in your network is a good thing because more places to pick up and deliver. Unless, of course, you don't think you'll ever use it. So let's start the game. Here we go. Randomly decide who goes first, any method you choose. I recommend Indian leg wrestling. And the first player then gets to build first they'll build up to $20 worth of track. Remember, you must start at major cities. You build up to 20 bucks worth of track, and then it's the next person's turn. And you want to do that because otherwise, if you don't build, you're just kind of wasting a turn. Then we go in clockwise order around the table so that everyone gets one build. The second build is in reverse order. So say we have two players playing, Wesley and Buttercup. So Wesley would build up to 20 bucks, then Buttercup would build up to 20 bucks. Then Buttercup gets to build again for 20 bucks, and then back to Wesley for another 20 bucks. 
If Prince Humperdinck wanted to join the game, then we would go Wesley, Buttercup, Prince Humperdinck, Prince Humperdinck, Buttercup, Wesley, and so on. And then the first player, Wesley, will get to take the first normal turn. Before you take your first turn, everyone decides where their train will start. Your train is a little plastic pawn in six different colors. And so you can decide any city you want to start in. Now usually you'll want to start in the first thing you want to pick up. So in my example, say I want to start by delivering oil to Buffalo. I want to start in Oklahoma City so that I can pick up that oil and bring it to Buffalo. Now a normal turn is you're going to move your train, which is going to be nine spaces every turn. And then you can build up to 20 bucks worth of track if you want to. And then you're done. You're generally just going to move on your colored track. But if you have to, you can use other players' track, but you have to pay them $4 every turn that you use their track. Whenever you get to a city, you can drop off any goods you want and pick up any goods that are available there. You can pick up more than one good in a city, and sometimes that's a good idea, as there's possibilities through some of the cards to lose some. The goods are limited, so if there's none available, then you're just out of luck. And also, you need to know that you can only change your direction when you get to cities. It's important to remember that you build after you move, so you want to be a turn ahead on your building, so you don't have to stop at a place and then build and then wait until your next turn. So when you complete a delivery, like my first example, bringing that oil to Buffalo, remember you have to give the chip up, you have to give away the card, and then you get the money for whatever the reward was then you'll get a new card, so you'll always have three cards. Sometimes you might make two deliveries to the same city, and at that point you would do the same thing just twice. So I'd get my money first, get a new card, and then repeat. Usually once you get that new card, or sometimes two cards at the same time, you want to stop your turn mid-turn to consider before you do anything, because the new card that you get might change what you want to pick up, or drop off, it might change where you want to move, where you want to build, which deliveries you're going to do. That's why a really valuable tool in this game is to have a 12-sided dice, or if you don't have that, two six-sided dice, just so you're able to use all nine of your moves. So say it took you only three to get to Buffalo. So then you're going to mark a six with a dice and put that in front of you. And then you can consider, think about, look at the map, and then you'll generally say, how many moves did I have left? And you'll have that dice in front of you. Oh, six. I have six more moves. So then you can still get your six moves. Because if you forget how many moves you have left, you'll just have to say, oh, I don't remember. And you'll just forfeit them. Now, it's also possible in getting a new card that you might get a disaster card. Disasters will have instructions on them that will likely do something terrible to one or more of the players. Some of the most common disasters are a derailment, which depends on where people are. If they're near a certain city, they'll lose a turn and a load chip. Or maybe a river will flood. And so if a river floods, you destroy all track, get that Kleenex out, and just wipe all the crayon that's next to that river. Or there's always a tax card, and they'll check how much money people have. And if you have a lot of money, then you'll have to pay a lot of taxes. But the disaster cards are pretty much self-explanatory. So the disaster cards stay in effect until the drawing player's next turn. For example, say Wesley and Buttercup are playing a game. So Wesley gets derailed. A card comes up that says derailment. All players within three mileposts, the mileposts are the dots, of Seattle lose a turn and a load. And Wesley's right next to Seattle. So he loses a turn, and maybe he loses a piece of coal. 
He also loses any moves he had left on his turn. Say maybe he had three more moves left on that dice. And then Buttercup gets to go. Then goes back to Wesley, but he lost his turn. So yeah, not fun. He actually probably lost about a turn and a half. So say Wesley, oh, he's going to be in for more pain, like, like Count Rugen's machine, you know? Let's say he delivers cars to Minneapolis, and he gets a new car, and it's the Mississippi floods. This is terribly bad. He can't go back to his track to Chicago because the river is flooded. It's gone. Now next turn, the flood card is still in effect, so he can't go back, and you still can't build over it because the river is still flooded. Then on his third turn, he still can't move back because he doesn't have a chance to build yet. But on the end of his turn, he can finally build that link back to Chicago. And then finally on the fourth turn, he can move back to Chicago. Of course, he could have built track somewhere else or moved on track not crossing the Mississippi. So that's how you move your train and tells you a little bit about some of the disasters in the game. Now let's get to the second phase of your turn, building. We already pretty much talked about how building works. It works the same in the game. A dollar for normal dots, two dollars for mountains, three dollars for cities, etc. Remember you can build up to 20 bucks worth of track on your turn. Now you're not always going to build. You don't want to build just to build because you want to save money because that's how you're going to win the game. But remember if you're going to move on track you need to build it the turn before. Now there's an option, instead of building, you can buy a better train by upgrading your train. When you upgrade your train, you have two options. You can buy a fast train or a heavy train. I call the fast train the 12 train because simply it increases your speed from 9 moves a turn to 12 moves a turn, which is awesome. I call the heavy train the triple train because what it does is moves your maximum number of goods you can carry from two chips at a time to three chips at a time, which can be handy. Now once you upgrade to one of those things, you can upgrade again to get the fast heavy train, or as I like to call it, the 12 triple train, which will give you the other bonus that you didn't get. You'll be able to move 12 spaces and carry three goods, but you'll have to invest 40 bucks of your money in two turns of building to do that. So more accurately, the two phases of your turn are you'll move spaces and then you can build track or buy a train, one or the other. Keep in mind that buying trains is instead of building track. You can't build track if you upgrade, not even a little bit. Also, train buying is the end of the turn. So if you buy the 12 train, then next turn you'll be able to move 12 spaces. Now, there's one more option you have on your turn. There will come times where the cards in front of you are absolutely junk. They don't match at all the track that you've built. And so at this case, you'll have no other option but to sweep. On your turn, you simply say, I'm sweeping my cards. You toss the three you have into the discard pile, and you get three fresh new cards. You're not allowed to sweep just some of your cards, one or two of your cards. You must sweep all three. And if you do that, that's your whole turn. You're not allowed to move. You're not allowed to build track. That's it. You will likely have to do this at some point. And sometimes I've done it two or three turns in a row. It can be worth it to just look for that really good set of cards that matches up with the track you've already built. Keep in mind, it's pretty likely that you're going to turn up some of those disaster cards when you do this. So that's pretty much it. You're going to move nine spaces. Hopefully you're going to bring goods to a city. If you do that, you'll get new cards. You can build new track up to 20 bucks at the end of the turn. Or instead of doing all that, you can sweep your three cards. 
and we'll keep going with turns like that until we have a winner. Remember, the winning conditions is that someone has $250 and they've built enough track to be connected to the required number of cities. Usually that's all the cities or maybe all of the cities minus one. And then they'll say that and declare themselves the winner of the game. Choo-choo! Part three, the hamster. How to win the game. So how do you win this game, crayon rails? One word, folks, efficiency. Obviously, you want to make the most money the quickest. There are a few ways to be more efficient. Some of them I talked about earlier. If you make a double run, that is, bringing two goods up the same area of track at the same time, you're basically going to make twice as much money. Also, making there and back runs. So you're bringing a good to a city, picking up goods there, and bringing them back. You want to run empty as little as possible. You want to make judicious use of sweeps. There are times where you're going to have to, you know, say bail out, say I'm going to skip my turn and sweep. And sometimes you might have to do that, like I said, two turns in a row. But don't sweep too soon. Really take some time to look at those and say, all right, can I make something out of this? Don't just build track to build track. If you're going to build track, make sure that you're going to be able to use it multiple times. As you're building track, remember that part of the main goal is to be connected to all those cities. So if you have a card that takes you to one of those major cities and you have to spend money to get out there, well, that's almost a bonus because you have to kind of get out there anyway. So remember, you have to build to those major cities anyways. Might as well do that as you're trying to make money through fulfilling cards in the game. When you're looking at directions to build, try to build near clumps of cities. Even if you don't build to those cities, if you're nearby some of those cities and you pull a card, well, that's going to be a benefit to you later in the game. If you build through an area where there's no cities, that's not going to really help you out. Also, you're going to want to look for those really valuable goods. Usually there's three or four really nice goods that are on the corners of the board which have really good payouts. Like, for example, in regular Empire Builder, there's coffee, which is way down in Mexico, and there's tobacco, which is only in the east. And those have some really high payouts because there's only one place you can get them, really in the corner of the board. Now, I suggest that you get that 12 train, the fast train, as soon as possible. The 12 train's almost always better than the triple train because, remember, you only have three cards, and the odds of having all three of those cards working together going in a certain direction is not very good. Sometimes the triple train can be worth the investment, so I might upgrade to the triple 12, but realize it's not a must. If you can save that 20 bucks, you're going to get to 250 even quicker. So that's my advice. Be efficient and have fun. Go enjoy playing with your crayons, everybody. But don't draw on the walls. Part 4. Footnotes and Musings. So, footnotes and musings. First, I'll get to all those little weird rules from the book that can get missed. And you, you might not go over in the initial explanation, but they're important to know. And then later on in the musings, I'll talk about all the different maps that are available for this series. All right, so let's get to the vegetables, those little bitty annoying rules. The major city rule. Here's how major cities actually work. You're always allowed to 
draw out of a major city for free. Uh, you're allowed to do that two times in a turn. So, for example, with Kansas City, I could build out one direction for a buck and build out another direction for a dollar. If you do more than that, the only option you have is to build into a major city, which with good planning, you should never really have to do. But if you end up having to go into a major city a third time in a turn, the cost for that is $5. It's good to know that when you build track, you have two options. You can either build out of any major city on the board, or you can build from anywhere off of your network, off of your color of track. You cannot just start building randomly in some spot on the board. Now, there is a rule that doesn't come up very much, especially with how many I play with the game, but there's limited entry into cities. The small cities, that is the red circles, can only be built into by two players. And so that means if two players build into it already, then someone will probably just have to rent their track, paying them that $4 fee in order to get in there if, if they want to. The medium cities, these are the square cities, can be entered by three players. There's also an odd rule about that you can't lock people out of major cities. So you can't just build a zillion ways out of, say, Chicago so that nobody could build into Chicago because that that is one of the conditions to win the game. And if you're doing that anyways, well, you're just a jerk and I don't really want to play with you. Now, obviously, if you don't have enough money to build a piece of track, you can't do that. And there'll be times where you're $1 or $2 short for building that track that you need to get, you're just going to have to come up with another plan or sweep your cards or you're just out of luck. Now there is a mercy rule, which I think is kind of important. Very rarely someone can get in a situation where because of a flood or something that someone can't get anywhere and they have no money. In this case, I would let them take a loan for as much as they need to be able to build over that flood or whatever it may be so that they can get somewhere to do a delivery. In no other case would I allow this circumstance. I don't want someone eliminated from the game, but having the tightness of money, it really keeps people from making certain building choices. Now, if you had someone take a loan like that out of necessity, you can make them pay back double the amount as penalty, I believe is what it says in the rules. Another odd rule, which isn't really that important, but just so you know, if you deliver two things to the same city, you resolve one of those cards at a time. So say I delivered oil and, I don't know, tobacco to Buffalo. I would resolve the oil to buffalo card first, or I could choose, and then I would flip up a card, and then I would resolve the other one. The reason being that a disaster could come up that could stop you from delivering that other good. Or maybe you get a tax card, and then you have to check the particular money that you have at that time. Not really a big deal, but if you want to play precise, that's what's written in the rules. Also, when you make the final delivery in order to win the game, you do have to flip that last card to see if a disaster comes Comes up or a taxes comes up something that might stop you from winning the game and it's possible it's also good to note that when you get those first three cards if you get disaster cards as your first three cards uh, just put those away get new cards so you have three to start the game says to shuffle them back in I don't think that's really necessary we usually just discard them and draw new cards money in the game is technically hidden meaning it's not public information unless someone got a tax card then you can announce you have to announce how much money that you have otherwise you keep it hidden and that kind of adds to the excitement now I have these poker chips and they sit on our table and 
we don't really worry about it, so we can just count each other's chips if we really want to. You know, it's sort of up to you how you want to play it. Also, we generally play with the even turns rule. So if the player who started the game were to win, then the other person would get one more turn, and then we would just compare money at the end of the game. Let's talk about making sure this game is fun. I'm going to be very honest with you. This game is the definition of multiplayer solitaire. There's almost no interaction in the game, and any interaction that does happen is just kind of random and annoying. So basically, you and the person next to you are both playing the same game, but really independently and seeing who can meet that challenge first. This is one of the reasons that I really only like this game with two players. With each player, you're adding time, and not really active time where you're going to be involved. It's just going to be time where you're going to sit there and wait for them to do their moves, which is why you really just want to play this with two, maybe three, but I've played it with four, but when you do, it just is adding time and isn't really adding a lot to the game. If you got a game on or you're just chatting and you don't mind that downtime, then that's not a problem. But just be aware that if you're playing this as a four-player game, you're in for a four-hour game, three hours of which is going to be almost completely downtime to you. There are a few ways to speed up the game, though it's not going to speed it up that much. You can, instead of having the 9-speed train and the 12-speed train, just say that those are 12 and 16 trains so that the... Trains are moving a little bit faster across the board. You could remove the tax card from the game as that will slow the game down. You could do three building turns instead of just two to start. There is a two-player variant and the rules come with a lot of the basic games and they're called the honeymoon rules. It adds a bit more interaction to match the regular game if, like I said, it's kind of random interaction in this game. And those rules are only one person can build in each of the small cities. Those are those red circles. And so that's going to block the other player out. But to do that, you have to actually have a reason. You have to have a card that has either the good or the city to do that. You can't just go through it just to be a jerk. You also play with one less of each kind of chip to make goods occasionally disappear. And the other rule which is added, which I really like, and this rule has to do with goods that you drop off that you don't really deliver. A lot of times you'll pick up an extra good to just in case a disaster comes up or maybe just to hope to get lucky. But then halfway there you'll decide you don't need it or you'll get another card and change your mind. So at any city you're always allowed to drop off any good. Now normally these goods just disappear. But in the two player version of the game they actually stay right there on the city so that a little bit later on you could go back and pick that up. Or a clever opponent might decide, hey, there's a sugar over there, I'm going to go grab it and steal that good and, and that will help them. You put the chip on the city on the board in which you dropped it off. So if I had machinery and I dropped it off in Kansas City, I would just put that machinery chip right by Kansas City. If I dropped it off in Buffalo, well, there's machinery already there, so it would just go back in the box, etc. This is a really cool rule because it adds a little more strategy because if you're running empty, you can carry one of those goods that are far off more to the center of the board to maybe you'll get lucky later in the game and then you can pick that up later. And also, if you do that, one of your clever opponents might see that chip sitting there, build track to it, and steal that chip that you've brought halfway across the world. 
But like I said, by adding these interactive elements, some of that interactivity is just random and it's just annoying. Like someone builds into that small city that you need to get to and you're just like, oh, now I have to pay them four bucks. But on the flip side, it adds a strategic choice. Is it worth it to pay them the four bucks or should I find something else to do? Same thing with the goods. Like, oh, I got to get some coal. All right, I'll go pick up some coal. Oh, the coal's all gone. Oh, nuts. There was nothing strategically you j did wrong, or it's not that someone probably did that to deprive you of that. It's just that that's the way it was, which is can be kind of annoying. So like I said, this is great with two or three players, maybe four. Don't touch this with any more than that unless you have the patience of the Dalai Lama. But I was thinking about why not just play this by yourself? Uh, really, all you would need to do is count how many turns it took you to win the game and then play it again sometime and see if you could beat that record. Now, I think it's more fun to play it with someone else, but in a pinch, I think it'd be a fantastic solo game because of just the complete lack of interaction. It's really just a puzzle to figure out yourself. There's also an online version. It's called Empire Builder Pronto. Uh, I think it's relatively expensive. It's about $20 per map or $15. But in order to speed up the game a little bit, you know, you can play it against someone on your computers or you could just sit and play at the same computer. I think it's a pretty fun option, though I haven't tried it myself. So maybe I've convinced you to give this series a try. Where should you start out with with this series? Well, all of them are pretty much the same game, but they all play a little bit different. And they change the experience uh, with, with a few rules twists and just the way the map is laid out. And not to mention just some of the geographic knowledge you get with each map. But I recommend if you're going to dive into this series, start with the country where you live. So if you're an American, just go get the new Empire Builder. Or if you live in Europe, get the new Euro Rails, etc. The reason for this is that you're going to be figuring out the system as it is and figuring out strategic play. And it, it gets a little frustrating if you start in, say, China or Japan in an area where you're not really familiar. And you're looking for all these cities that sound familiar and you have really no idea on the map where they are. Now I'll talk just a bit about some of the other versions that I've played just to give you a little information whether you're looking at some of the different maps in this series. Now this is a series that's produced by the company Mayfair, so you can look at their website for more information. They produce a lot of different versions of this game. And let me mention that Mayfair in no way has compensated me for this episode. Now Mayfair, if you would like to compensate me, uh, you know, I'll be talking about some of the maps I don't own later in the explanation. So if you just want to send some of those copies to me, that'd be great. Just contact me. I'll, I'll give you my address. Now you can get most of these games in just a standard box with sort of this cool puzzly board that just kind of puts together. It's, it's kind of unique. Or you can get it in a tube version, which the map comes as just a laminated version. And the cards are usually kind of tear apart cards. It's, it's a little bit cheaper version, but it works just fine. So Empire Builder. I have the version that's called North American Rails. It's a little older, but it, it's not the original. The original Empire Builder game just had the country of the U.S. The newer one now includes Mexico and Canada. I really like having this version because it's, it's great to play the place where you live. I love connecting stuff to Buffalo and Minnesota, places where I've lived. Also, if I was going to introduce this to someone, this is the map that I would use because people know where Chicago and New York are and that sort of thing. Um, the map has a few issues. Notably, the Northeast doesn't really have any good goods. 
So you'll build track up there and there's nothing really great to pick up, which is really annoying. And all these great goods are in Mexico. So it almost kind of forces you to build in Mexico. And of course, Canada is real spread out and isn't that great. So, you know, Mexico's a little overpowered. But overall, it's a pretty decent map. And you'll find these things as you play the different maps, you know, which areas of the board seem to be more powerful than others. But I always have fun experimenting with, you know, all right, I'm going to try to make Canada work and, and just give it a try and, and make the game a little bit a different experience that way. Next, Euro Rails. This must be your second map that you buy, if not your first. I think that this is the best game in this series. The reason is, is that the map is huge. There's all these different areas in the board that you have to decide whether or not you actually want to build in them. You have to decide, do I want to go all the way down to Spain? Or do I want to go up all the way to Scotland? Do I want to get involved with Scandinavia or down to Austria? There's just different corners on the board, and you really have to make a lot of decisions, which I think makes it better than a lot of the maps out there. This map introduced ferries. There are ferries across the English Channel. How ferries work is you build into them, and they cost like 8 or $10, depending on where you build. And when you bring your train there, you have to stop. You forfeit whatever moves you had. And on the next turn, you can cross the ferry and move half your moves. So say I was going across the English Channel. I had nine moves. I would go to the English Channel, stop my turn. The next turn, I would get to cross the channel, and I'd only get to move five moves. And that's how the ferries pretty much work. You'll see them in some of the other maps as well. Next is India. India is probably the reverse of Europe. It's a smaller map, and it has some really big payouts. There's some really big goods in the corners of the map. And sort of the nice thing about this is this would be kind of a quicker game than some of the other versions. There's a neat rule with pilgrims. You can pretty much pick up pilgrims anywhere and deliver them to big cities for two bucks. And so it gives you a nice option to do when you're running empty. Next, there's Australia. Australia is sort of pretty much built all along the eastern coast. That's where pretty much all the cities are. And then there's just a few cities on the west coast. There's one big city on the west coast called Perth. And at some point, you have to decide when to build out to there. And that's kind of the only interesting part about that map is when to make the long trek across to Perth. And do you build across there? Do you try to go across there and make some really long deliveries for big payouts? Or do you just concentrate going up and down that eastern side from Sydney to Melbourne to Brisbane, etc.? Next is China, which I find pretty similar to Australia. It has this eastern coast along the Pacific Ocean, and there's some really valuable goods way out there in the west and you have to decide whether or not to build out there but there's no big city out there so it's really just an option whether you want to go out there and try to make that money and then there's british rails british rails is is interesting because it has a lot of small routes it doesn't have a lot of big huge payout routes so you have to make all these little branches and decide you know risk versus reward is it enough to make that trek out to that city to make that 18 or 20 bucks i kind of liked it as i thought that you had to make a lot of decisions in it it does tend to take a bit longer uh this was my wife's least favorite map is you feel kind of ripped off as some of the routes that you give you build a lot to make not very much money finally i'll talk about japan or Nippon pawn rails as they call it. Uh, this is a very tight map because of those islands. This map has all these 
really interesting city names that are kind of hard to tell apart from each other. And it has these different islands, but some of the islands are are a lot better than others. It's it's a pretty unique map, and it was designed for two or three, but I don't know if it's better than some of the other bigger maps, which give you more choices. So those are what I have played. Um, there, there's more. There's Russia. There's ones on other planets, which I haven't given a shot yet. There's lunar rails, which is the moon, and Martian rails, which is Mars, of course, which are spherical maps, which wrap around. So if you build off of one edge, you can come out the other edge. And they have really wacky, funny goods. Um, and then there's Iron Dragon. And Iron Dragon is a fantasy version of the same kind of game where you have characters. You might be an elf, which has special powers. Cost less to build in the mountains or something silly like that. There's fan-made ones. I think there's New York. There's Africa. You know, the list goes on and on. There's so many versions. And the reason there's so many versions is because it's such a fantastic game system. There are other games that are created that were inspired by this crayon rail system. There's another train game called Silverton, which is quite a bit different. And even the first version of the very popular game Power Grid was a crayon rails game. And so instead of placing your houses down to build those networks, you would actually draw them out and there would be costs associated with that instead. So this game system has been very influential in modern games. Also, you'll be amazed at the geographic random knowledge you'll pick up. I was opening up a bottle of wine, and it, it was from Australia. And I said to my wife, I wonder if this is from Adelaide. Because, you know, in Australian rails, uh, Adelaide is the place that has wine. So sure enough, I flipped the bottle over, and it said, you know, made and bottled in Adelaide, Australia. So there you go. And I can tell you at least three or four Jeopardy questions I've gotten right just from playing the, this game and learning these rivers and mountains and cities. That's a little chocolate, honey. <laughs> You know that's going in the podcast, right? <laughs> my wife is criticizing my podcasting skills. <laughs> and if you haven't given it a shot, I really recommend it. Give it a try at least once, but just play with two or three players. There is some extra equipment that I have picked up to make the game a little more functional and just a little bit more fun. Mayfair sells these little metal train ponds, which are a little bit nicer than the just plastic, generic, cheapo ponds that come with each of the games. The problem is you're going to have to go in and probably paint those, at least with a solid color, as they're all just metal to start. And some of them are kind of too big, but two or and there's a four train set, and one of them is definitely too big, but the other three are pretty nice. Like I said, a 12-sided dice or a couple of six-sided are nice to remember how many moves you have left when you get into those situations. Then there are alternatives to just the standard crayons that come with the game, which are a little bit nicer. A lot of people swear by what's called China markers, which aren't markers at all. They're just colored pencils that erase very well. But I found that in looking at office supply stores and art supplies, I found these really hard to find. So what I've been using is these Stabilo pencils, they're called. Uh, they're thinner. They're, they look just like a colored pencil with, I think, a hexagonal base. And they say aquarellable, which I think means water erasable. But you don't really need water to erase them. Just a Kleenex will work fine. They sharpen up real well. And, and we played probably 50 games. We have the same two pencils we bought for, you know, a buck fifty a piece. So, you know, get those in four different colors and you'll be all set. They're kind of nice over the standard crayons, which can be a little tough to work with, especially once they start wearing down. If you're going to get those, then just you know, get a nice little hand pencil sharpener will be nice. 
I love to use these poker chips. I picked up a set of poker chips to use with a variety of, of games. It's not necessary at all, but you know, I just enjoy working with them. You know, if you have four colors of poker chips, ones, fives, tens, twenty fives, I have ones with the denominations printed on them for those, you'll be all set. For the two of us, I just use a little hundred chip tray I've got and I use twenty ones, twenty fives, twenty tens and twenty twenty fives, and that's enough to play the game. Now Mayfair has just came out with some new additions for some of the basics of the series for Empire Builder, Euro Rails, I think Martian Rails. And the really nice thing about the new additions is they have colored chips which make them a little easier to find and they don't have those little stickers that you had to put on. But those really aren't necessary. In fact, when I got into the series, I had just learned the game a month or so ago and I saw a copy on eBay for like four bucks. I put a bid in for five bucks and with shipping it cost me like ten dollars. So because this has been out so long and there's so many copies out there, there's really a lot of copies out there available and cheap. If you keep your eye out on eBay and on you know various marketplaces, you'll probably be able to get a lot of the different maps. Not really that expensive. And later on when I got into the series, I got three of them on eBay for about 40 bucks total. So the games are really out there if you keep your eyes out. You can really get some good bargains. So I hope I've inspired you to try this great, great game system or helped you to teach the system to someone new. That's it for this episode. Thank you for your continued support of this podcast. You listeners have been so great in helping with the success of this podcast. If you've benefited from this podcast, please remember, help me out in just a few small ways. Either tell a friend, join the guild, write an iTunes review, donate a few bucks to me on PayPal from my website. Any of those few things would help me out quite a bit. Thanks to Jojo Banks for his review on iTunes. Thank you to Rob and Michael for your donations so far. I'm talking to you on the Robraphone. I hope you've noticed the improvement of audio quality. They've made a few donations which have helped defray the hundreds I've spent on getting this podcast up and continuing and running. So if you can do any of those things, I'd really appreciate it. Even just to drop me a note about what you thought about a particular episode really helps me out and keeps me motivated. So so thanks again, listeners, for your support. I hope to continue putting these episodes out on a regular basis. This episode was recorded on December 9th, 2009. Oh, and I want to be sure to thank Mrs. Stern for her cameo role in today's episode. Thanks, Mrs. Stern, for participating. I've had a great time preparing this for you, and I wish you all a happy holiday season. This has been Ryan Stern for the How to Play podcast.